neo Hinduism, right? Can you sort of restate the premise or the agenda? Very good. Right? You know, why is it that they're doing is it? What is neo Hinduism? Second is how the seminary plan might work. Excellent. I love this kind of question. Targeted. Very important. So, neo Hinduism, a man named Paul Hacker, a German, started this thesis called neo Hinduism in the 1950s where he, he was a philologist, linguist, uh, Sanskrit scholar, one of those guys you would say we should be sponsoring him. He was very, uh, you know, for 20-30 years he'd been very well known, very prominent and good original insights he came up with, very nice ones on Sanskrit and Sanskrit texts. But then he started developing this thesis that Hinduism started with Vivekananda because Vivekananda had an inferiority complex with the British British were very successful, British were unified, British were scientific, British were modern, Indians were scattered and not so. So he wanted to create a unified thing and he gave it the name Hinduism. And he says that uh, Karma Yoga uh, was not a really, it was a fabrication of uh, Vivekananda because Karma Yoga in the Gita is not helping charitable towards other people. I'm not required in the, in the in traditional Hindu Karma Yoga to be charitable to help other people, love thy neighbor and those kind of things, which is Christian idea. The Hindu Karma Yoga is individual, moksha, selfish moksha. I do karma to get my moksha. I'm not helping other people. Okay. So this idea of helping other people is a Christian influence on Vivekananda because he goes to America and he finds the Christians are very organized because they're very charitable, they're helping each other. So he wants Hindus to start helping each other and he gives it an Indian name to be to so that people think it is one of our ideas. So he that is the origin of Karma Yoga according to this thesis. Then Vedanta, and this is what I'd love to have discussion in uh, Chinmaya Mission in a future event because they're studying Vedanta. Vedanta and Yoga are cannot be compatible. This is a view, and this view goes back to Adi Shankara, who said that the world we experience is the world of causation, cause, effect, cause, effect. Everything you do affects, has an effect. And anything that exists, like this thing, is a, has a cause behind it. Yeah. Nothing just exists by itself. And so every cause has an effect, and every effect was produced by some cause. And the only exception to this is Brahman, which is beyond causation. Brahman never was caused by anything. And you can't cause Brahman. You can't therefore cause moksha. Because moksha is a state of Brahman, it, your, your, you are Brahman in that state. And since Brahman can't be caused by some action, no action can produce Brahman. Every action will produce an effect within this world only. And it cannot produce an effect that is Brahman, which is beyond this world. So therefore, he argues, and, and this is all true, not misquoted, these guys are very intelligent. They, Shankara argues, that therefore, Brahman cannot be the effect of a cause. You cannot do a karma or do an action which will produce moksha. Shankara says that. And therefore, since yoga is something you do, it, no amount of yoga, no amount of meditation, no amount of samadhi will produce moksha. And therefore, the claim of yoga as a path, okay, is not valid. So he comes up with that. Okay. And then, then this whole idea of bhakti also is something you are doing. And bhakti can clean you, purify you, do all of that, but it is not going to take you to moksha. So he's arguing that this unified Hinduism of Vivekananda is a sham. It is a sham and it is for political purposes. It is being done 
to fight the British and it is a reaction against uh, driven from an inferiority complex vis-a-vis -vis the British, the Indians vis-a-vis -vis the British. Now his idea is popularized, he is popularized by Hal Fuss in University of Pennsylvania, a great Indologist, the Indians think very highly of. He brought Paul Hacker to UPenn and gave him tours and made him famous and did his collected works in English. He, he did that. And then uh, Agehanand Bharati, who was a Viennese that had turned into a Hindu and become a sannyasi wearing orange robes and was a tantric and Shaivite and so on for 20 years of his life wandering around India. He does a U-turn, comes back to Europe, has some big fight with the people in India for whatever reason and he starts promoting this thesis of Neo-Hinduism. He rejects Hinduism and says the whole thing is a sham. Then it goes to England, Ursula King, who is a minister in one of the Anglican church or something and she starts writing a lot of this stuff about Neo-Hinduism and then the big breakthrough comes when they get hold of an Indian from Guyana called Anantanan Rambachan, a very well known today. He's around my age and he goes around giving talks in all the ashrams. He's very highly regarded, very highly regarded by Vedantins. And he writes book after book and his 30-40 years of publication history, including his dissertation under Ursula King in UK, it's all about Vivekananda is contradicting Shankara Vivekananda does not understand Vedanta. Vivekananda is fabricating a Vedanta just to suit political purposes. And so this group of five or six people from Paul Hacker in the 50s to early 80s, Anand Rambachan are described in great detail what is their thesis, how they came up with it. Yeah? And then this is echoed. The first person in India who picks it up is Ramana Thapar. Soon after uh, uh, Anantanand Rambachan writes his stuff. Ramila Thapa writes a very, very famous article called uh, Syndicated Moksha, which says that Moksha and Hinduism is a syndicated production of political Hindus. Vivekananda is the first guy who starts this and then the Hindutva movement takes it forward. And the purpose is to oppress women, minorities, Dalits, Muslims. First the goal was to throw out the British. And then that unified Hindu identity which has been created, a political identity, turns out against its own people. And so this is a menace and the way to solve this menace is to get rid of this Hinduism. That's the, that's the thesis. The entire Indian left is guided by this Neo-Hinduism thesis. In fact, if you look at, if you read carefully uh, uh, Arun Shori's talk when the Indra's Net was released in Vivekananda International Foundation, he says that that until now I thought that this whole attack on Hinduism from Indian left was derived from Marxism. He said after reading Indra's Net, and he read the whole book very carefully and we had a person in his house, we had a discussion for it for a while. So he said after reading this book, I realized the, or the true or academic origins in the West of this Neo-Hinduism thesis, which then got appropriated by the Indian left. It was not something that uh, the European uh, Western Marxists had come up with. It is the Western scholars of Hinduism and Sanskrit that came up with it. And then the Indians left, took it over and turned it into leftist ideology. So the significance of this book, according to Arun Chori's endorsement, is that we now know the, the intellectual roots of the whole Indian left is attack on Hinduism. 
And if you see, if you see uh, Pankaj Bishra writing this article that Hinduism is basically a political construction that is bad for minorities, if you see person X, Y writing all these things, the, to know where they got it from and what was the argument that was, it was based on. And then the second part of my book, which refutes this philosophically, intellectually, historically, politically, in every, in every age, one of these ways I give my counter arguments that says that this is actually a false construction. So this is what the book is about. Yeah, my question is why? What is what is the agenda? Is it to denigrate India or is it easy to make people Okay, so, so each one has a separate agenda. The uh, Paul Hacker, his collected works were published. And uh, when his collected works were published, I've mentioned this in the book, at his request, the publisher did not include those writings which showed his Christian background and his love for Christianity and his evangelical and, you know, uh, his, his agenda. After he died, posthumously, those papers came out, which then made Western scholars suspicious of his work because they said that while he was alive, he was hiding this, this part of his life he was hiding. He was a Christian apologist, he was hiding. Okay, but by then the damage had been done because many other people had taken over. Now Ursula King in England, now Ursula King in England is very well known major scholar of Hinduism for a very long time. I met her one in, once in Oxford, I was there visiting their center and she was there too. And so on another project I, I need her work. She's done some good work which helped me get some data and which helped me find some more sources and more leads. So after uh, so Ursula King is a kind of one of those very, very clever, like Diana Eich would be, like Wendy Doniger would be, they can say oh, we are very much in love with Hinduism, they can say a lot of positive things also, they can also undermine it. So Ursula King is one of those kind of persons. Now, so she, she had her own goal because she's an Anglican church person and they study Hinduism to dig up knowledge which they can use to benefit Christianity, they absorb and digest lot of good ideas. They are studying Hinduism to learn good ideas and Christianity has been reinvented in the past hundred years with a lot of Hindu Buddhist ideas. A lot of Hindu Buddhist ideas have entered Christianity like yoga, like meditation, like a lot of philosophy has entered. I'm going to write a whole book on this, the reinvention of Christianity with Hindu Buddhist ideas. I'm writing a book on that. So Ursula King is part of that project. Even Paul Hacker in my in, in book Indra's Net, I'm showing that he mentions that there are some great things in the Sanskrit text and the Hindu text which we need in Christianity. He mentions that. So he's a mining, he's on a mining expedition to mine these things. But while while mining the source for good gems and jewels here and there that he wants, he also wants to under uh, kind of denigrate it so that other because otherwise, if you are liking the source, why don't you just convert to be a Hindu? You have to like something about Hinduism to bring it into Christianity, but you must also reject it for some reason. You see, you must reject it, otherwise you are not, otherwise why don't you become a Hindu? So you have to find something wrong, something fatally wrong, which means why you can't accept it. But there are certain good things you want to take it out. That's the mixed mixed up. So it's it's <coughs> appropriate and denigrate. I like what Devdat Pattaya is doing with me. He wants to appropriate my ideas, but uh, get me out of the way. Uh, you know, very uh, separate Rajiv from infinity. Take the money, appropriate the money from the Infinity Foundation, reject Rajiv. This kind of a splitting the source into what you want to digest and what you want to reject. So this is what's going on. Then again, then this guy, Anantarand Rambachan, who has become the champion of this neo-Hinduism. I, if you don't know what's wrong with him. 
because he is on the one hand a very devout Hindu. He could spend a lot of time in uh, various ashrams and he talks at Hindu events and he promotes, he says he's a Hindu and what not. But his basic foundational work all, all his career has been to basically show that Vivekananda got it wrong. And when you show Vivekananda got it wrong, you're playing in the hands of the whole Hindu left, the whole Hindu movement. Chinmaya mission is derived from that, that whole unity of Hinduism. Ramakrishna mission which is started with Vivekananda derived from that. All the Hindus unity church, all the temples are teaching this, all the Hindutva are teaching this, the unified Hinduism, the whole thing. Vivekananda is the culprit, he is blamed and he is undermined. And, and, and yet a person like that is felicitated by Hindus. He is considered a good Hindu, he is brought to all kind of places to represent us. So you see, there is a lot of different agendas of different people. Some of them may be unconscious, some of them for practical personal reasons because they are encouraged in their career to do it. Once it comes to India, then the Indian left agenda plays. Indian left, this is the core philosophy of, on which the whole Indian left posture on Hinduism is based. So what is it? the significance of this book Indra's Net is that it tells you the philosophical foundation of our opponent. That's what it does.